welcome to the Foot Anti Thinking Global podcast. In this podcast, we look at different jurisdictions and industries and explore the opportunities that exist in the global marketplace. My name is Linksy Wang, and I will be your host together with my colleague, Carl Bradford. Linksy and I are members of the International Committee here at Fudansti, and we work on a lot of cross-border transactions that involve both inbound and outbound investments with the UK. In this series, we will be taking you on a journey by speaking with different subject matter experts on the innovations occurring in the UK across various industries and their importance internationally. For this first episode, we will be speaking with Eliki Zeri, who is an energy specialist and a member of the Energy Project Infrastructure and Construction Team at Fotansi. We will be discussing with her the topic of green hydrogen and whether it is a net zero game changer. Eliki, welcome to the podcast. Thank you both for having me. Um, there has been a lot of interest around green hydrogen, and I'm very pleased to be joining you this morning to talk about it. Thank you for joining us. To begin with, can you provide us a bit of information about yourself and also the EPIC team? Yes, of course. So I'm a senior energy lawyer within the Energy Projects Infrastructure and Construction Team, EPIC for short, and I'm also the Green Hydrogen Lead for Food Honesty. So the EPIC team provides full service to clients working within the renewable energy sector. And green hydrogen is one of the areas we're particularly focusing on. Thank you. And just to kick us off, could you just explain to us what is green hydrogen and how does it differ from the spectrum of other hydrogen colors that exist out there? Yes, of course. The first thing to say is that hydrogen as a gas is colorless and the reference to different colors is useful for industry professionals, legal professionals and others working in that sector. We use different colors to describe the feedstock and the process by which hydrogen is produced. So gray hydrogen is the one that is predominantly used in the UK today by the chemical industry to make fertilizers, as well as in the oil refining industry. Gray hydrogen is produced using natural gas through a process that is called steam reforming. And in the process of producing gray hydrogen, lots of carbon emissions are created that are then released in the atmosphere. We then have blue hydrogen. Again, it is produced through steam reforming. The difference with grey hydrogen is that the emissions are captured through carbon capture and storage. And that brings us nicely to green hydrogen, which is the subject of today's conversation. Green hydrogen is produced by electrolysis. The input is energy from renewable energy sources. And that energy splits the water into hydrogen and oxygen. There are no greenhouse gas emissions produced as part of that process. And that is why green hydrogen is the cleanest form of hydrogen. At the other end of the spectrum, you have black and brown hydrogen. This is produced through the use of coal, the process called the gasification process, which is obviously at the opposite end of the the green hydrogen spectrum. To complicate things even further, we have pink hydrogen, which is also called purple or red. Again, this is extracted through electrolysis and the input, the feedstock, is energy from nuclear resources. And then, of course, special mention to what is called yellow hydrogen, which is produced through the use of solar power. So it's like green hydrogen, but just with a sunnier disposition. 
Wow, thank you for that um, very detailed explanation. It's very helpful to know that the different spectrum of colors of hydrogen and how that applies from the various industries. Could you um, explain how you first got involved in this industry? Obviously, you know, you are an energy specialist, but obviously I gather this is a, a unique area of energy. Of course. Certainly, hydrogen has been around for, for a very long time. In fact, hydrogen was a key component in town gas that powered homes before the discovery of the North Sea gas. However, there has been renewed interest in that sector. Back in November 2020, the then Prime Minister Boris Johnson published a 10-point plan for a green industrial revolution. And as part of that plan, there was a commitment and ambition that the UK would be producing 5 gigawatt of low-carbon hydrogen by 2030. The emphasis being very much on blue hydrogen. In December 2020, as a follow-up to the 10-point plan, the Energy White Paper, Powering Our Net Zero Future, was published, which introduced the concept of industrial clusters. The paper identified key industries that could benefit from switching to, to hydrogen. Still, at that point, we were talking predominantly about blue hydrogen. And then fast forward to April 2022, British Energy Security Strategy was published. It doubled the UK's ambition to increase hydrogen production up to 10 gigawatts by 2030, with at least half of it coming from electrolytic hydrogen, so green hydrogen. Up to one gigawatt of electrolytic hydrogen should be in construction or operation by 2025, so two years from now. And then most recently, just this January, Chris Skidmore's uh, report, Independent Review of Net Zero, was, was published. And again, it made reference to, to hydrogen. It said hydrogen will play a vital role in our future energy mix. So th a lot of renewed interest. And since I'm working in an industry that's constantly evolving, it did make sense for us, uh, myself and the team, to start looking at, at green hydrogen more closely uh, as forming part of the UK's future uh, energy mix. Thanks, Aliki. It sounds like, um, from what you said, that a lot of the government focuses on the production side of hydrogen. And, and you mentioned that there are certain industries that currently use grey hydrogen, the chemicals industry and oil refining. But what industries that we work with as, as a firm now and other industries in the market could really benefit from green hydrogen as part of the mix of solutions for this more, I guess, sustainable future? I think it's about looking at industries that are currently either using hydrogen in some form or other, or industries that are difficult to decarbonize purely through electrification. So we know that hydrogen is used by the oil refining industry as part of ammonia production and steel production as well. And that is why the government's main focus has been in large uh, industrial clusters where those intensive and power-hungry industries uh, are located. And of course, there are other benefits around those industrial clusters. They support local economic growth, creation of additional jobs, and there are environmental benefits from switching to green hydrogen, for example, improved air quality. There has been a lot of focus, not just in the UK, but also abroad on the transport industry and the use of hydrogen fuel cells. There is research to suggest that heavy, good vehicle fleets would benefit from uh, the use of hydrogen fuel cells, buses, 
rail, uh, where it is difficult to electrify parts of the rail network, as well as in the aviation industry. And I know we're talking a little bit more about that in, in a minute. And of course, heating is another area where the government, particularly in the 10-point plan, they made specific reference to the use of hydrogen as a heating solution, as well as for, for cooking. The jury is still out and the government is yet to make a decision on whether it will allow uh, blending of hydrogen in the gas grid. A decision is to be made by early 2026. If you were to talk to owners of gas distribution networks such as Caden Gas, which is the UK's largest gas distribution network owner and operator, they would say that yes, the gas network is capable of carrying hydrogen uh, and they see that as a potential offtake uh, solution. And of course, we should remember that hydrogen can also be used in the form of fuel cells to generate electricity and help with the decarbonization of the electricity system. So a number of potential applications and industries that could benefit from the use of green hydrogen, provided that it makes business sense and financial sense. And we'll come to this in a minute, I'm, I'm sure. It sounds like there is appetite for, for green hydrogen in these industries. It's just whether it makes sense commercially when there are the, the cheaper forms of hydrogen. Absolutely. And it is a conversation that we have been having with industry participants and clients as part of our quarterly green hydrogen roundtables. And the question that keeps coming up and again and again is, would an off-taker pay more for green hydrogen, which is cleaner, than they are currently paying for grey hydrogen or they would potentially pay for, for blue hydrogen? Uh, so, the use of green hydrogen is not a panacea. It cannot solve all of the problems or decarbonize all of the industries. But there are certain industries where the financials would make more sense. Up until recently, blue hydrogen appeared to be cheaper than uh, green hydrogen. But following the recent events in Ukraine, this seems to be sifting. Still, the cost of producing hydrogen, at least in the UK, is quite high compared to other countries in Europe and further afield. But the trend is that costs will start coming down and beyond, I think, 2035, this is where we're going to see a considerable drop in the cost of production, which then means that there is potentially more of an incentive for certain industries to switch to that form of fuel to power their operations. Thanks. I mean, it sounds to me that green hydrogen is part of the conversation um, and it, it obviously gets talked in the same breath as solar, wind and battery storage, those kind of technologies. But how does green hydrogen sort of complement with those different parts of the sector? And are there particular limitations to green hydrogen that mean that it's just not going to be used in, in certain areas? If I take the, the second part of the question first, it is a very project uh, location site specific question and it largely comes down to, to financials. And we can talk uh, about the key challenges that green hydrogen producers face. To the first question and whether there are particular synergies between other renewable energy sources and green hydrogen, the answer is yes. In fact, in November 2022, I was at a panel at Solar and Storage Live where the question that was posed is, can green hydrogen support the quicker deployment of solar and wind projects? What we are seeing and what we're hearing from solar developers is that the grid connections that they're getting, the grid connections offers they're getting for, for their projects are heavily curtailed 
which means that there is always part of the electricity that is produced by the solar farm or the wind farm that cannot be exported to the grid. And this is where a green hydrogen facility would make sense, located in close proximity to a solar or a wind project, where that curtailed electricity is actually used to produce green hydrogen, which is then sold on to a potential off-taker. So there's definitely a synergy there between, as I say, onshore wind and solar. And of course, we should not forget that we have, you know, the Celtic Sea and there's lots of offshore wind projects that are currently planned uh, in that area. So clear synergies with the floating offshore wind industry and green hydrogen as well. So you've mentioned, Aliki, a lot about, the, I guess, the opportunities in green hydrogen and uh, I guess a lot of the government targets are around green hydrogen. But could you just say a little bit about some of the challenges that the industry obviously needs to overcome and also whether the UK government, I guess the central government here, we're talking about Westminster, has actually tried to incentivize um, investment in this sector to try to achieve obviously those very ambitious targets that they set. Yes, absolutely. So for the green hydrogen economy, and the same way as any other economy to operate, you need a product, you need an off-taker for your product, and you need a means of getting your product from A to B. So one of the, the key challenges that have arisen as part of the green hydrogen debate is around the offtake. So there's a lot of interest in producing green hydrogen and the government has put mechanisms and incentives in place to support that. But then they haven't really focused on the offtaker. We talked a lot about uh, industrial clusters and there has been a huge focus around industrial clusters. But industrial clusters are not the solution for every part of the country. For example, in the southwest, we do not have power-hungry industries or large industrial clusters and off-takers that are located in one place. And therefore, if a green hydrogen facility were to be developed in the southwest, there would need to be a means of getting that green hydrogen produced at point A to point B which brings the issue of how do I transport the green hydrogen that I have produced when blending into the gas pipes is not currently allowed. So then I will have to either have my own fleet or I have to hire vehicles to do that, which brings us to the next challenge, which is all about the cost of production of hydrogen. Now, I do not have specific statistics for production of green hydrogen, but I do have you know, information from the International Renewable Energy Agency. They published an action plan in 2021, and they've highlighted as part of this action plan that as of 2021, the cost of producing hydrogen, not just green hydrogen, but hydrogen in the UK was around $5.4 per kilogram. Having spoken to, you know, industry players and clients uh, who are looking at green hydrogen specifically, they're telling us that the cost of production is a lot higher. There are a number of factors that come into play and affect cost. One of them is the price of the electrolyzers, which is the key bit of kit that you need to produce hydrogen. And of course, the price of energy, so your, your feedstock. And we've seen uh, large price uh, volatility in recent months. Now, again, expectations are that the cost of electrolyzers will start coming down as the rate of learning improves and as the, the electrolyzer capacity increases. Linked to the issue of cost and the cost of production is, of course, the issue of funding. How do I fund uh, this project, this uh, green hydrogen facility that I want to put in place? 
when I don't know who my offtaker is going to be, so I don't have certainty of my offtake, and perhaps I have some gaps in my supply chain. ITM Power is the main producer and manufacturer of electrolyzers here in the UK. And again, clients and contacts are telling us that they have such a, a large demand of electrolyzers that they cannot service the orders quickly enough. So there's the supply chain bit, there's the offtaker bit that is missing. And then how do you convince a funder to fund such a project when you don't necessarily have all your ducks in a row and you cannot produce a business plan that has firm enough assumptions as to the return on investment. And there are other issues that are of equal importance as potential challenges. One of them is challenges that are faced at the planning stage. I have been told that electrolyzers are very, very noisy and therefore there are specific planning considerations around that. There are issues around access and transporting, as we said, the, the green hydrogen. And there's a wider issue which fits into the planning and the consultation process is the public perception around the use of hydrogen and its various applications. So this is a sort of a high level overview of what the key challenges are. Now, the UK government has put in place some measures to support particularly hydrogen production. So we have the Net Zero Hydrogen Fund, which is intended to provide CapEx and DevEx support up to 240 million. The hydrogen business model, which is uh, intended to provide up to 100 million of support for projects. And the UK Infrastructure Bank, which has a mandate to finance new green technologies, particularly low carbon hydrogen. Also, the UK government published the Hydrogen Investor Roadmap in April 2022. And the intention was to highlight opportunities across the value chain. And of course, Jane Tugut was appointed was the first UK's hydrogen champion. And I know, having been in events where Mrs. Tugut was speaking, that firstly, she's very passionate about the sector. Secondly, she's actually putting the time and effort into traveling up and down the country, talking to various hydrogen producers and other parties across the supply chain. Mrs. Tugut is intending on publishing a report which will be issued to government, I believe, this month, setting out her findings about how the green hydrogen economy and hydrogen economy is, is faring and making some very, very specific uh, recommendations. That aside, and despite the fact that we have this framework of support, the industry would like more, more certainty around you know, the government's plans. It very much feels that the government is perhaps becoming a bit agnostic on the blue and green hydrogen debate. And there is a sense as well that the uh, focus is very much on large-scale project. So there is some support. Whether that support is adequate or not, what we're hearing is perhaps not. The first uh, electrolytic hydrogen allocation round, which is the process through which hydrogen producers have to go through to be awarded a contract and government support, has just been completed and we're just waiting to see the results. We know that 41 projects were submitted as part of this first electrolytic uh, allocation round. We need to see what projects get through to the next stage. And the next stage is where the project promoter, the hydrogen producer will be contracting with the government body for a specified level of support. The mechanism is very much similar to the contracts for difference. For those of us who, who work in the industry, energy industry will be aware of the issues around the, the contracts for difference. So very similar mechanism. But as I say, we need to wait and see what comes out of this first electrolytic allocation round and which projects get support 
before we can say, yes, the government is doing the right thing, or no, perhaps they could be doing a little bit more. I guess they could always always be doing a bit more. It sounds like they, given the size of the projects and those funding issues that you talked about, that it really is something that has to be, I guess, pushed through by government to overcome some of those obstacles. Are there particular countries that are leading the way with this? And are there, I guess, global opportunities for green hydrogen? So the US introduced the Inflation Reduction Act, which provides significant tax credits to producers of green hydrogen. So this is, uh, at the moment, very much the place to be. Canada is also expected to follow with a similar scheme, uh, which is expected to be announced in spring 2023. And interestingly, in Europe, Portugal has a slightly different model. Uh, So they have established a government body that will purchase hydrogen produced by hydrogen producers and then sell that hydrogen onto gas suppliers. It sounds like what they're offering is a guaranteed offtake, which is what is missing in the UK. And again, there are other uh, measures that other countries have introduced to support not just green hydrogen production, but potentially export opportunities as well. So the Netherlands was the first country that introduced guarantees of origin for green hydrogen. But the idea is that the EU uh, will follow suit with its own system of guarantees of origin. So that opens up uh, export opportunities as well. And yes, there are uh, opportunities there provided that the green hydrogen economy in the UK takes off. And, you know, we come close to achieving those high targets and ambitions, but also there are opportunities for lessons learned and opportunities for us to look, or the government to look at what other countries are doing and how they're approaching the issue and perhaps bring some of that knowledge back. All that said, I do think there is an opportunity for investment in the UK and for green hydrogen projects in the UK. Certainly, there is an abundance of renewable energy projects, and as I said, A lot of those projects have curtailed export, so there is a good synergy and opportunity. There are a number of industrial clusters that have been set up, for example, the East Coast Cluster, South Wales Industrial Cluster, and High Net North West. And again, despite the fact that the focus is mainly on blue hydrogen, there is a learning piece around that. Blue hydrogen can pave the way uh, for a more established supply chains than then green hydrogen can piggyback off. Great opportunities in the Celtic Sea. I've already mentioned the floating offshore wind projects. And of course, we have the Morocco-UK power project with the pipeline bringing a lot of power and electricity at North Devon. So I do think that there's a lot of opportunity still in the UK, but keeping an eye out on what other countries are doing and perhaps learning from the good and the bad, I suppose. Yes. And I, I guess that there are certain industries that almost rely on that globalization of the hydrogen market. I'm thinking particularly ports, and you touched on it a little bit earlier, but there's there's obviously seaports where you know if we're going to decarbonize boats and ships that are sailing around, they need to be able to have hydrogen at the next port that they go into and the same for aeroplanes i know airbus and bristol airport have, have started a partnership and EasyJet, i think are also looking at hydrogen as a way but i guess it only works if there are lots of these hubs globally absolutely and the aviation industry particularly here in the southwest are really leading the the charge 
So Hydrogen Southwest is a coalition of organizations which started from the aviation sector. So Bristol Airport, Airbus, EasyJet, I believe, were the founding members. And since the Hydrogen Southwest Coalition has been set up, they brought other industry players into the fold, uh, such as Wells and West Utilities, Wessex Water, and the Bristol Port Company. And there has been a lot of press on the news. So in December 22, Rolls-Royce and EasyJet announced that they will be testing a jet engine that will be using hydrogen produced from tidal and wind power. And again, Airbus, on the website, there's a whole section about the use of hydrogen for hydrogen propulsion and synthetic fuels as well. And I think they mentioned that they've got a hydrogen-powered fuel cell engine currently in, in development. So certainly the, the aviation industry has realized that they have a significant environmental footprint. And one of the ways they could address that is through the use of hydrogen, including green hydrogen. Excellent. I guess, yeah, it's a catalyst for further innovation and research and development. And maybe that's the area that would be of most interest going forward if, if we can kickstart the, the green hydrogen economy here. Absolutely. You know, we talked a lot about challenges, we talked about opportunities and what the government is doing. But again, the government time and again has emphasized the need for private investment in the sector to achieve those very, very ambitious targets. And when we look at what the private sector needs to do to attract that investment or support the green hydrogen economy, I think there are two things. One is a leap of faith. As we, we said, there are lots of challenges and lots of unknowns. And we need to remember that electrolyzers, which are the main bit of kit that we need, the technology around those is constantly evolving. So there is quite a lot of, uh, a lot of unknowns on that, which then fit into your business model. If you're a green hydrogen producer, how do you have, as I said, a robust business model? And the other thing that's very important is collaboration. And we've seen that in the hydrogen sector and in, in green hydrogen, a lot of talk about joint ventures, either in, a, in the corporate sense where you set up a separate JVCO or in the sense of contractual arrangements where different parts of the supply chain come together, whether that's your electrolyzer manufacturer, the party that has the land, the party that has the contacts in the market and brings the off-takers, they all come together to create those hydrogen projects. And the good thing around the green hydrogen space and, and the discussion is that all of the players involved are very, very keen and eager to share. So back in November, I attended the first uh, members event of Hydrogen Southwest, and there were representatives from EasyJet, Airbus, Bristol Airport, EDF Dynamics were also involved in the discussion. And they were all willing to talk about their projects the difficulties they're facing and the opportunities as well. So a great, great space to be in. Well, thank you very much, Aliki. It certainly sounds like the industry needs to um, have that leap of faith in order for it to keep growing and therefore obviously become a viable part of the um, green market. Is there anything else you'd like to add that you think needs to happen in order for the green hydrogen sector to keep growing? Well, I think if you speak to some of the industry players and clients, what they're going to say is that they need more government support. If we look at the details of the what is called the hydrogen production business model and the way that the premium, so the price that the government will be paying to support hydrogen producers calculated, firstly, it's quite complicated to work it out. But secondly, there are various carve-outs on what you will be getting as a hydrogen producer and in what circumstances. 
And the other part, and I know the government is already working into that, is a support business model for transport and storage of hydrogen. Because it's all well and good if you are located within an industrial cluster. But as I said, that is not the case and the model that can apply across the UK. So there is some work going on in the background. Thank you very much, Aliki, for joining us on this podcast and obviously giving us your valuable insights into green hydrogen and how it is one of the solutions to help us achieve the eventual target of net zero emissions. And we do certainly look forward to inviting you back in the future to obviously discuss new developments in this fast growing industry and also to join and speak with other specialists in other emerging energy sources. Thank you both for having me on the podcast. It would be a pleasure to talk to you again. Should you have any questions on today's episode or would like to discuss further, please leave your comments in the comment section below or send either Carl or me an email. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you have enjoyed listening to the show, please do rate, review and subscribe. And until next time, goodbye.